Welcome to the Thriving Advisor Show. I'm Ike Ikoku, founder of the Cochinaire Institute and the Seven Figure Mentor Program. We help executives create successful transitions out of corporate life without jeopardizing their current employment and without risk to their family, finances, or future. We launch business consulting practices for our clients and use that as a vehicle to establish their personal brand, their thought leadership, and to monetize their purpose, passion, wisdom, expertise, and experience. This helps them address the problem of how to design a successful transition out of corporate life and into doing something adventurous and fulfilling that allows them to have the kind of impact, influence, and income they desire in this next chapter of their life. We believe that executives who have been thriving in the boardroom with their responsibilities to their current employer can also thrive outside of the boardroom in their post-corporate life. We know that you have relevant experience, expertise, as well as a unique message and or a passion project that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet in the next 15 to 20 minutes. All right, well, let's get into today's show. Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Advisors podcast. With me today is Donald Monaceri. And uh, we were chatting up in the green room about just how fun it is to see people try to you know, butcher the last name, something that I've never had any problem with in the past, obviously. Yeah, man, yours is easy. Yours is easy, right? <laughs> easy peasy, as they say. So, uh you know, if technology is the name, you probably got a solution in the game, right? So um, I want to talk a little bit about you and your company. Maybe start and just kind of tell us a little bit about your new baby, General uh, Informatics, and yep. uh, tell us what it does as a high level and maybe who your ideal client is. Okay? Yeah, it's great, great question. And and man, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of General Informatics. I've been there for coming up on about 10 months. And um, I'm, I've kind of got the best of both worlds, right? I've, I've found myself an organization that's been in existence for about 20 years. It was founded by an incredible engineer named Mohit Vij and, and a private equity company invested in them. And, and they're a, a managed services provider that pretty much does everything technology from a standpoint of outsourcing technology for business. And so I, I've had quite a bit of experience in that and they, um, back about this time last year, gave me a phone call and said, hey, we're, we're looking to take um, the very distinctive service delivery model that General Informatics has and take it to the rest of the Southeast and potentially even uh, up north a bit. So um, I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, we have been just amazingly um, covered up over the last 10 months. It's, it's been an incredible journey already. And um, again, as I mentioned, the service delivery model that we're using at General Informatics is really going to change the way, in, in my opinion, that, that companies outsource their IT. So um, we're excited about what we're doing, man. That's really pretty cool. I mean, managed services is, I, I don't know if it's quite hit the decade mark yet. Maybe it has, but I know that's been the, 
the advent in, uh, you know, outsource IT services for companies as they're growing. So maybe talk a little bit about that space and uh, how it's evolved and what it is that's different about the way you guys are approaching, you know, yeah. piece of, of, about it. Yeah, great question. I got, you know, so I cut my teeth in this business, right? I graduated um, in in a small university in Louisiana called Southeastern Louisiana University and, um, in 1990 and immediately got into IT. Now, my background was in IT. Okay. Um, I was a management major. I went on to get my master's degree in business administration, and I really focused on management frameworks and, and how you create efficiencies of scale. Well, Fast forward, I started my own company um, in 1993. So I was, you know, the ripe old age of 23. So of course I, I knew everything I needed to know about business, right? <laughs> of course, <man>. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, despite, you know, my, my attempts to wreck it, um, we were super successful. And to your point, in about 2004, we noticed that consumers wanted to consume IT differently. They wanted mm-hmm. something they could budget that made sense something that they could do that, hey, I didn't have these ebbs and flows of, of cost around IT. And so we didn't know what to call it back then, but we changed everything into that managed services model. And that's really when uh, we started getting a lot of attention with private equity companies. And so in 08, I sold my, my, my business and um, they merged my company. The private equity company that bought me uh, merged my company with a larger company called TechLinks. I was the vice president of sales for a while. And then um, went back into operations, so became the chief operations officer. We grew that company um, over the next ten years. I eventually became the president, but we went from, man, call it, you know, a twenty million dollar company to over three hundred employees, almost two hundred million dollars in revenue, mm-hmm. and so just amazing growth. We did it through acquisition and organic. And so last year, when General Informatics called me, I said, okay, and you know, I got to be critical because I, I. I'd bought and sold IT companies for some time, so I knew what to look for. Yeah. And I, their service delivery model was so different and unique that I was like, wait, I really need to take a look at this. And they solved a problem that we even had at scale, which was we took a little bit more of an agile methodology when it comes to service delivery and service support. And so we have these pods of engineers that are subject matter experts in their area of expertise and so you've got a small, nimble team that they don't have to go outside of that group to get the answers for our customers and for our customers. And what they love is, hey, I'm talking to people that I know. So as we grow, they don't call this nameless, faceless guy. They call Jim their buddy. And let's face it, man, we're in the south around here. You know, calling Jim your buddy matters, right? right. So, <laughs> so. But, you never uh, go grab a brewski with Jim, your buddy and, matters and, too, and, right? And it, and it happens. It, they yeah. they get invited to Christmas parties. They get invited to you know to weddings. So it, it's amazing how that model works. And what we've done is each one of those pods has a team lead, and that's how we scale it. The team leads work together. So if they're facing a problem that is, let's say, for instance, specific to networking, mm-hmm. they can reach out to the team lead and go, "Hey, man, your guy in networking is super good at this particular issue. I think he's seen this before. Can we?" Can we utilize his knowledge? And so, yeah. man, it's been phenomenal. And when I tell people about the model, they're like, man, that's your secret sauce. You shouldn't be telling them. I'm like, nobody can execute like we can. So yeah. I, you know what? I, I don't mind sharing that because we're great at what we do and we got good people and it's a great culture. It's just been, it's been a ton of fun, man. Sounds like it, man. I, I love the the continual involvement in different industries to this whole idea of one-stop shop. It's like yeah. 
Think about all the needs that your customer has that's even remotely connected to what you do and either insource that to make sure you got the resources to do it or build those strategic relationships with people who can. So I love that you guys are, are following that approach. When you think about the competition, right? Because I'm always about you know trying to figure out how people are leaving their competition behind. What is it that they're not aware of that you guys are doing that's putting them behind the eight ball? I, man, that's 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 an awesome question, and and the answer is they they don't think they can scale it, hmm. you know, because they feel like, well, God, you're gonna you're not utilizing the entire team um, for multiple customers, and 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 my answer to that is that's why those companies tend to have higher attrition rates of customers than than we do because we are developing a relationship, we are we do know the intimacies of their network and their technology. For that matter, their operational workflow. You know, mm. so much of IT really does get deep into the organization's operational workflow. And because I'm an ops guy, right? I've spent a lot of time kind of going through that with our customers so that they can integrate with not just me as an outsource provi provider, but other mm. outsourcers. Because at the end of the day, they should be focused on what they do for a living so they can continue to innovate their products or services and not have to worry about the IT that yeah. is, is supporting it. So I think that's the key. And the other thing that I, you know, I say consistency is the key to making a business work and and we can consistently deliver the same experience over and over and over again because our teams are small and that it's easier to communicate. Trust me when I tell you, because I've been through it, when you've got a team of 30 engineers and then suddenly you look you look up one day and it's 140, wow. like how do those guys communicate at an efficient man in an efficient manner? And, yeah. and it it's it it becomes very difficult. So that's that's the key, I think. That's awesome. I, um, I've had a pretty diverse background. I've been an accountant, been a financial advisor, investment advisor, coach consultant. So I've seen a lot of the years, which has served me well. But one of the things that bugged me in the financial services industry was this war between the two, you know, the, the kings and queens in that industry, like the insurance side of the fence or right. investment advisory sense. And so the insurance side of the fence was like, hey, all of our products are safe. You need to just have this only. And the investment side is like, oh, you're getting poor returns, you know, so just constantly like confusing the customer instead of realizing like there's space for both products and solutions within a customer's overall plan. Right. That leads me to the question is when you look at your industry, what is that one thing that bugs you within the <laughs> industry that's like creating massive confusion to the, you know, the, the customer out there? Yeah. So so there's really two things. And 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 one is very similar to the example that you gave. And, and another is self-inflicted, quite honestly, in our industry. So I'll start with the latter. Security, you know, is a is a constant. Um, conversation that we have with our clients. Cybersecurity is you can't you can't open the paper and not see that somebody's been hacked, et cetera, et cetera. And and we in our industry we overcomplicate it. We make it we make it seem like the big bad boogeyman is out there and he's going to get you because then they think that fear will allow you to come and do business with us. And and I continue to tell our cybersecurity team guys we've got to simplify this. Yeah. We've got to show them how to reduce, you know, reduce their risk and 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 base, you know, how we approach cybersecurity on their risk tolerance. You know, what 
Because look, I can spend every dime you got on security and still can't promise you that you're going to be secure. Yeah. Um, so we need to engage with our customers and make sure that we're basing our solution off of what their risk tolerance is and what the likelihood of them being a target would be. And, and most companies are targets, whether they want to believe it or not. But, you know, I, it's not you don't have to budget five million dollars to be um, 80 percent safe mm -hmm. if if, you know, 500,000 can do it. So um, that's the one thing. And and I would say, you know, the, the other thing is very similar to what you just described. It's when the application guys are pointing at the infrastructure guys and saying, hey, it's your infrastructure, my application's perfect, which they know better, right? <laughs> and the infrastructure guys are going, no, it's the application. And they're like, man, we really need to look at our infrastructure. So, <laughs> it's the old so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that does happen. One of the things that we do at General Informatics to, to remedy that is we, we enter into a contract with the customer and says, look, we're gonna be your point of contact for that. You need to have maintenance and support from your application provider, but we're going to be the liaison so that it's our problem, not their problem or your problem. And we'll coach them through that process of, no, we need to figure this out together because the infrastructure can't work without the app and the app can't work without the infrastructure. So fighting each other doesn't work. So, Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, you talked about cybersecurity, which has been it seemed like it's it's kind of exploded in the last four or five years. It's just like Absolutely. the hottest industry uh, to be a part of and to kind of understand the nuances of how it's impacting businesses. Yet and still, we've had the pandemic, and you and I both know that you know people have been on both sides of the pandemic in terms of impact. Sounds right. like you guys have been on the better side of the fence with that, with the growth. Has the foray uh, or the growth opportunities in cybersecurity kind of contributed to that? Or what do you guys see as the reason why you've been going gangbusters over the last, last yeah. time? Yeah. So first of all, um, you know, we've created what I would consider five years of um, upgrade and, and application development in a very short period of time because so many people went remote. Mm -hmm. And so people who were really against remote work and were against, you know, allowing their data to be uh, available over a public uh, internet, they decided, okay, well, we got to do something because our, our, our guys and gals need opportunities to get into our systems. And so we spent a lot of time focusing on how to do that and do that securely. And, and like, I'm, I, I was the guy standing up going, Hey, time out guys, time out. You just can't throw it out there. You know, yeah. we need to secure it. We need to make sure that we're, doing you know right by your most precious asset which is your data right and and the way that i try to describe this to people is the more devices you have that are out in cyberland the more opportunities you have of that data being exfiltrated so you have to know where your data is at all times mm -hmm. and you have to know who is accessing it at all times and so with that, we, we do a really good job of, of building a, a plan that makes sense. The thing that, um, that I will say that continues that, you know, you had this, this issue of everyone moving out to remote work, and now we've got some people who are starting to come back. And, and I think we're always going to be in this kind of hybrid environment yeah. that you have to have data that's highly available, both in the office and, and, and out. And the, the, the kicker is that the 
the bad actors out there are becoming more and more sophisticated and and for that matter more bold because mm-hmm. they're starting to do things that you know are really um put them closer to the user put them closer to for that matter being caught but they actually have more competition you know we think of the bad actor as you know the 16 year old kid that's in a closet and he's trying to get a hold of your data so he can make some extra bucks for the weekend that's not happening man these are these are living breathing businesses in in countries that don't necessarily watch that stuff right and and they're making money they're making a lot of money and so when they can make that kind of money they can invest in sophisticated um, technologies and for that matter sophisticated people and and do a better job of of fooling the you know the guys and gals who are just trying to make a living and so um we have to be i I tell my team all the time we have to be right every day they only have to be right once Mm -hmm. and so so we have to stay vigilant we have to make sure that our tool sets are going to uh outpace theirs and so it's a constant battle and I've, you know, having been in IT my whole life and watched, you know, I tell my kids all the time that, you know, I was in IT before there was email and they were like, what did y'all do? <laughs> mail, mail. That's where yeah. that originated from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, this industry's always changed. And so I enjoy it for me. It's, it's, um, it's a challenge and it, it keeps us on our toes and, you know, to see the the young talent that that we have coming into the markets that that we serve is just it's fun to watch. You know, the work that they do and how good they are at it. Sure. Speaking about young talent, um, you're a guy who's worked for people, who started his own business, who sold his businesses, who's bought other businesses, who's working for another company. So you've got to experience culture inside, left, right, and center. Yeah. What, what role has that played to the success of some of the companies you've been in? And um, how's the culture of the place that you're at right now? How did it attract you to, to decide to work with them? Yeah, that's a, that's a man again you you ask great questions ike so i mean uh I, I will say that when i started my company i didn't realize it but i was i was driving the culture on accident you know i was i was hiring with like-minded intent and um and we built an amazing culture and and the thing that we used to say all the time and i said this in a meeting and it caught on uh, the name of my company at the time was vista information systems and i said guys we need to take care of vista like she's our mother because she takes care of us on the 15th and the 31st. So, and, <laughs> and, yeah, and so they started like peer to peer. They were like, Hey man, we need to be taking care of mom. Cause mom's taking care of us. And, yeah. and so it was really great to see that traverse even into a much larger company. Whenever we became a part of tech links, because I've learned early on that if you will get the culture um, that you push and that you support, make sure you're pushing and you're supporting the culture that you want. And so if you let, you know, um, if, if you let people into your organization that don't know how to treat each other, don't know how to treat people um, because they're skillful, you're going to end up having a very skilled workforce that hate each other. And I just, I'm not interested in, in being in that kind of, in that kind of business. And so I made culture a very big part of what we were doing at TechLinks. And when I, when I got to be on the, on the side where I was being very critical of general informatics to see if this was something that I wanted to do, yep. the first thing that I told um, 
Mo, who I had to interview with, right? The founder is going to be a board member. He's been there for 20 years. And he asked the question, hey, Don, who is Don Monastery? I don't care mm-hmm. about your, I don't care about your accolades. I don't care about what you've accomplished. I don't care that you've run, you know, a $200 million company. Who is Don Monastery? And I told him, I said, man, I put myself in alignment with what the Holy Spirit wants for me and my family. And as long as I keep that as my goal and, and, and the standard, then I, things tend to happen, you know, very well, things tend to, to work out very well. And to, to kind of talk a little bit more about that, I found that if you become a good steward of those things, then it always seems to, to work. And so when he asked me that question, he, he, when I answered it, he said, now we're talking now, now we're talking about the stuff that matters. And so I knew there was a place for me there because he obviously had very similar thoughts and, and the ways that he treated his employees and yeah. his teammates. And, and so we, we just fit right in. And our core values um, here is that you have to have a can do, will do attitude and you have to serve our cup, our customers with empathy and respect. And, and we do that in, in a, in a very deliberate way. And we hold each other accountable, you know, along the way. Yeah. I love the boldness, man, with which I, I'm curious as to whether or not that was a, uh, a spontaneous whisper from the Holy Spirit to say, you know, plug me in here as you're sharing <laughs> you know, the core value system. Um, because, you know, it's sometimes it can be a double edged sword, right? You, you almost have to kind of sense you've got permission to share. And other times you're just, hey, this is who I am. You actually you asked yeah. me a direct question. So I'm going to tell yeah. you, you know, at the very core who I am. Uh, were you aware that you had a safe place to share that? Or is that just part of how you roll? You just let people. Know Man, I, I, I say that, you know, my, my core purpose in life is to coach, teach and lead if I have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to do that my whole life. And I didn't recognize that, that God was the one that was providing that, that, you know, desire for me to do that. And so I went through a pretty spiritual journey. I say that I'm very spiritual. I wouldn't consider myself very religious, yeah, um, <laughs> you know, um, but, but I, I, I try to do my best to, to really listen, intently listen. Um, and I didn't know whether or not he was going to take that well or not. I, I didn't know, but I, I committed about 10 years ago to do a better job of just kind of talking about the things that, that I'm passionate about and the things that I feel like have have put me in a good position to be successful because if someone else picks up, you know, from that conversation and it impacts their life in a positive way, then man, I, I go home so fulfilled and, and, and man, it's so enjoyable. It's uh, by far, it's by far the best thing about my job as the CEO of a growing company is I get the opportunity to influence. Yeah. And, and if that influence should lead someone to inspiration, great, you know? Um, but I go home fulfilled every day because I get the opportunity to do it. That's awesome, man. Really, really, really love that. Uh, word on the street is you're not just a one-time or two-time. I think you're like a three-time author. Is that right? <laughs> that's 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 correct. So, um, man, talk about things that hit you like a ton of bricks, right? Yeah. Um, so I have a, a three-book series called The Enhanced uh, Series. The third book is actually out this uh, due out this year, so we're putting the finish t- finishing touches. And if you've ever had to go through the editing process, and you're a hard charging, fast paced guy, it is maddening. Yeah. <laughs> it is maddening. Yeah. Um, but the first book is called Enhanced Life Performance, and Enhanced Life Performance is very much about the thing we just talked about. How do you put yourself 
in alignment with what the Holy Spirit wants for you and go through that process of knowing what your true core purpose is, what your true value is, and how do you do that in a manner that is very deliberate and, mm-hmm. and allows you some opportunity to, to, to help others. The second book is called Enhance Executive Performance. And it's like, hey, now that you've kind of got your life going, you know, how do you plug that into your, your, your working world yeah. and, and really enhance the, your ability as an executive and, and execute at a much higher level? And I consider it a supernatural level because you're really tapping into a supernatural power. And then the third is enhanced corporate performance where it's, okay, now I got all these hard charging executives. How do I create a framework that can take advantage of that and really allow me efficiencies of scale and get everyone working on the on the same platform. And oddly enough, the last book was what my publisher wanted me to write first. And I said, look, it, if you don't have the right people, your framework doesn't matter. Yeah. And, you know, and so they allowed me the latitude to really explore what I was trying to do and enhance life. And and um, it took a while for me to really get focused on how to do it. And I had an executive ask me, he's like, hey, man, I want to do it the way you do it. Have you, do you have this stuff written down? I'm like, in fact, I'm trying to do it now hmm. and it's just not coming out. And and then my son, who was going into his first year of college, asked me, he's like, hey, dad, you seem to do this really well. I just want to do it the way you do it. And I was like, he's like, do you have this written down? <laughs> I was like, John, pay attention here. Yeah. And so I was like, OK, maybe I'm supposed to you know, fight through this and, and, and get it done. And, and once the why in my mind changed to where, you know what, I'm just going to write this for my kids. Hmm. And if, if my kids can learn from this, then great. And if I can publish it, then great. And man, it started flowing. And, uh, and I've been writing for the last six years, man. And it's been a, a great experience. That's awesome. Speaking of writing, that means that, I mean, even without you saying that, just from our conversations through the podcast and just even in the green room, I just, I know that you're, you're like a well of wisdom, right? <laughs> well, thank so you. Much, yeah. There's so much you've experienced, you know, between being a CEO, executive, working, building companies, buying and selling companies. So um, you look at the 18 year old Don, who's Maybe then he didn't even realize all of these things would materialize in his life. Or maybe he did, but yeah. he didn't know how to start. What's the one thing you'd share with him uh, looking back to go, hey, if I had to do this all over, here's the one thing I'd do different. Wow. God, that is such a good question. Um, so there's a couple of things that I'll probably touch on here um, because I always felt like I was a little bit ahead, um, if you will, in, in the things that I had accomplished. At 18 years old, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what that was going to be. Yeah. And in fact, the whole reason why I got into IT was I thought, well, I know I'm not going to be able to afford a mainframe. Let me go figure out this new thing called a personal computer. What is that about? Right. And so that's for the- those who don't know what a mainframe is, <laughs> right. a millennial and younger generation, that's the original computer. It that's like right. took up a 3,000 square foot building. Yeah, you know, that's, so. ex- that's exactly right. And <laughs> like telling people about yellow books and like, you know, yellow, right. yellow, yellow, what's that all about? Right? <laughs> I think I would have challenged the 18 the year old Don to be more critical in my thinking. Mm. Um, and and understand that execution is incredibly important. And I place a very high value in execution, but critical thinking, and for that matter, diversity of thought is really, really important. And, 
and the way that I define critical thinking may be different than others. I mean, challenge the thought process. Yes. Don't don't just <clears throat> challenge what you're thinking, or don't just think harder. You know, that's not really critical thinking. It's it's where are you getting your context from, and can you diversify that context and see how others might think about it? Because you know, again, I mentioned I've grew up in a small town in in Hammond, Louisiana. I graduated from Southeastern Louisiana University. And most everybody that I graduated looked just like me. And so I didn't understand that there was context that I just didn't have any reference. And it, it, even though I was ahead, if you will, where I was being exposed to these things, sometimes it took me a while to, to, to figure out why am I not coming up with the same answer that that person's coming up with? And they seem to be much more um, prepared for this than I am. And it was because, you know, I needed to expand, you know, how I was thinking and, and be more critical about the way that I was thinking and really dive in and commit to, look, if you're going to look at a problem, you, you got to really focus and spend time figuring that out. And, and um, because I place such a high value in execution, I was a, you know, type A, get it done. It's got to be, you know, yeah. so I would say maybe take a breath, Don, and 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 think about that a little bit longer. <laughs> nah, that's solid, dude. Really, really solid. Uh, listen, it's been such a um, such an experience having you in the podcast, man. I really enjoyed this. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to get a copy of your book, for instance, the Enhanced Series? Where where should they go? Yeah, so um, if you go to Amazon.com and and uh, just search that my my full name, Donald Monastery. Okay. All my books will come up and they are in all formats. So you can get them um, in Audible. You can get them paperback, you know, the good old fashioned way. And of course, in Kindle. Um, and then, uh, hey, man, just you can send me an email at uh, dmonaster at alignment.com. And alignment is spelled A-L-L-Y-G-N-M-E-N-T. And the reason that that is the the, the, the business that I have that produces my books and and, and takes care of all of that for me. Um, or you can just reach out to me at Don M at G E N I N F.com, which is general informatics. And, and, uh, that's where I spend the, the lion's share of my time, you know, really driving, um, this business and, and, and doing my best to influence the things that we do here. Cause it's, it's a, it's a blast, man. We're having a great time. It's fantastic, man. Hey, listen, I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, we got to do this again sometime soon. It's been fun. What, I'd love to do it, man. Love to do it. All right. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Ike Koku here. And on behalf of I, thank you so much for listening to the Thriving Advisor Show. If you're a successful executive who's been thriving in the boardroom with the work that you do with your current employer, and you're starting to think of how you'll also crush it outside of the boardroom in post-corporate life, or you've already started making some strides in that direction and are crushing it with your work in the local community, with local charities, and with your passion project or your consulting work that's been built around your personal brand, and you'd like to be featured as a guest on this program, then please visit www.thecochinaireinstitute.com. That's www.thecochinaireinstitute.com.
M A I R E I N S T I T U T E dot com forward slash podcast, and you can go ahead and apply to be a guest on this show. Now, if you've got something out of this interview and you'd love to share this episode on social media, go ahead and do so. Just take a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the social media channels. If you know someone who'd be a great guest, go ahead and tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Thriving Advisors. Hashtag Thriving Advisors. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. You know, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. So to make sure that you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs ups, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show. And it means a lot to both me and my team. Want to know more? Go ahead and go to our website, www.thecochinaireinstitute.com. That's T-H-E-C-O-A-C-H-N-A-I-R-E-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at Ike Ikoku. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram with the same handles. Again, that's at Ike, I-K-E, Ikoku, I-K-O-K-W-U, and Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time.